Welcome to the All People Podcast, where we talk all people all the time. I'm your host, Elisa Southall. My goal is to improve Canada and employee experiences as well as company cultures throughout U.S. employers. We do this by leading with empathy, diversity, inclusion, equality, teamwork, and transparency. Come on this journey with me. Welcome back to an episode of All People Podcast, where we talk all people all the time. I'm your host, Elisa Southall, and I am here today with Callie Adamson Backen from Wanadu. Um, Callie, tell us a little bit more about yourself and um, Wanadu and, and how you want to share all that. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, I fell into human resources like a lot of people do just by seeing a need and being the one to say, I know how to fix that. Um, and I fell out of love with human resources, kind of, I, I shouldn't say human resources itself, because I still love the discipline. I love everything that we accomplish, but I didn't think that I could do that where I live in a way that I would feel good about. Um, and so I started thinking, you know, maybe HR tech is a good place for me. Um, it was just starting to become a thing that was more accessible to people outside of enterprise level companies. Um, and I really, really embrace the technology side, despite the headaches that went along with implementations. Um, and so I started thinking, you know, maybe that's something I want to pursue and found out there was an HR tech company in my backyard. Um, and as soon as I met our CEO, Troy, I was hooked. Everything that he talked about was how we were going to use technology to be able to help the actual employee and not just employers get data. And I was a little skeptical, um, but I figured, you know, this guy sounds like he knows what he's doing and I really want to be along for the ride. Um, so that's been a really awesome transition. Um, we actually started out as an HCM and Wanadu was going to be part of that particular product. And for a bunch of reasons, we decided to split off and focus just on organizational health and the rest is history. That's that's really exciting. And it's good that it was right in your backyard. You had no idea it was even there. Um, I think sometimes we overlook those things, right? Because we just sort of have blinders on. So when you talk about organizational health, tell me what that means for Wanadu. What organizational health sort of points are they looking to address? Yeah, I love talking about organizational health because I think it's one of those things that people like think they know the answer to or they should know the answer. And so people aren't often brave enough to say like, slow down, what are you talking about? Um, but how we define it is basically the collective health and well-being of your people is their ability to show up, be productive, and want to keep doing that day after day. Um, so we help to measure kind of three core elements under that, culture, health, and finance, meaning that from a company standpoint, if you have direct impact on all three of those things, and if you can figure out those three things, you are going to have an awesome showing within your workforce. You'll definitely probably retain more people if you've got a pulse on those three things, for sure. Yeah, well, and they all impact one another, right? If I am having a bad day at work, I don't feel appreciated, I feel like everyone's out to get me, I'm going to bring that home, and that's how I'm going to interact with those people in my personal life. Um, but at the same time, I, if I have something going on with my health, that's going to probably involve a lot of phone calls I need to make when during business hours, if that's when my work day is. Um, it's also going to directly impact my finances. We all know that sleep 
has a huge impact on, on how we're able to show up and do anything on any given day. And financial stress has a huge impact on sleep. So it's all very much connected. And yes, retention is a huge part of that. Um, but even, you know, if retention isn't what you're worried about, you know, we talk a lot about absenteeism and people's, you know, lack of being at work on days that we expect them to be there. But what's actually a more costly problem for employers is presenteeism. And when we feel like we have to show up and be in that seat, wherever that may be, whether it's home or in an office or, you know, standing on the line, um, when we feel like we have to show up, even though we shouldn't be there for one reason or another, that's a huge, huge dip in, pro in productivity, a huge dip in safety. And a lot of other factors. I mean, no one wants to feel like they have to be someplace, especially when they know they shouldn't be there. Um, and that's going to have lasting impacts on your workforce. Yeah. Yeah. And I can even think of examples when I was working in HR where, you know, that definitely impacted productivity. And, you know, the company and the leaders looked at absenteeism sort of like, okay, well, this person doesn't want to be here. And I'm like, okay, but what else is happening that we're not seeing that maybe they want to be here, but they're physically not able to or mentally not able to, right? Like, why are we not asking that question? Why are we just saying they don't want to be here? <laughs> you know, that's not always the case. Um, so tell me, how does want to do then get that data for you and help you understand it? Yeah, so we built a communication platform. So you have the ability to be able to improve communication with your employees, make it more real and engage with them just like they're engaging with literally what everyone else in the world. I can't tell you the last time I sent an email to someone that I am personally connected to and it's not about work, right? Um, so we help you to have that level of reach with your employees and make it more attainable for them to build a community with you and with one another. While they're in the platform, getting great information like updates on open enrollment or just, hey, we had a new version of our HIPAA policy. Please make sure to check that out. Here's the steps we need you to go through from a you know legality standpoint. Um, when they're in there doing all of those things, we have a ton of incredible resources for culture, health, and finance. So we're looking at, on a de-identified basis, how they're interacting with you, how they're interacting with one another, and how they're interacting with the resources we provide to give you an insane amount of data about the actual behavior of your people. Um, and then we meet with our clients on a monthly basis. We're available all the time. We help to create that content. We help to get everything off the ground. But in that monthly call, we then talk through, here's the trends that we're seeing. Here's how that compares. Here's some ideas that we have on how to how to impact these particular problems or, or highlight the great things that you're seeing as well um, and, and work with that individual company to come up with an organizational health strategy specific to them. So is a lot of this done through AI? Yeah, yep, so, yep. So every interaction that happens within our system, once again, on a de-identified basis is tracked. So if you're looking at an article that's about how does uh, financial stress impact relationships, that's going to be one of about 450 data points we see per employee annually um, that we're using to help figure that out. So the other part of that that becomes really cool is the system actually becomes personalized to that individual within that particular company, the more that we learn about them and the company. So you might not personally be struggling with 
financial stress and losing sleep. But if that's something that's common for your population, you're going to see that article surface as well and have the opportunity to interact with it. Um, more to it than that, but that's an, an easily digestible example without being in the platform showing you around. Yeah. And, and honestly, what I like about that too is, and you've been in HR, but when you do, when you're in HR, right, you generally will look at your um, end of year benefits report and say, okay, what were our health claims like this year? You know, I know in, in one of my former employers, we were like, okay, you know, all we're seeing an uptick in hypertension, right? Mm-hmm. For all of, and they were de-identified. They usually gave us ages and things like that. But, um, and it was like, okay, so in this group, we have a lot of hypertension issues that we're seeing. So then we created a program the next year for hypertension, right? And so in that way, I think that you guys are sort of a little bit ahead of the game because rather than waiting until the end of the year, you're able to do it in real time and say, okay, you need this program. We're just going to put it here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we talk a lot about dead data. I'm actually in the middle of doing a whole presentation or putting together a whole presentation on that. And that's what we're talking about too, is like, yes, you might be at the end of the year getting indicators to a problem that was prevalent in March or April. And one, by letting it fester for those six months, what other problems are coming up? But the problems when you're starting to finally address that overarching issue are exacerbated or they've moved on, right? And so there's a lot of different reasons why we want to try to get real-time data to be able to address those real-time needs. The other part of it too is I'm sure you're familiar with the same stat as me that we spend 80% of our healthcare expenditure on 20% of our population we wanna help flip that, right? Not that you shouldn't be spending time for those individuals with hypertension, 100%, you should, but how do we help to support people earlier and help them to make those little tiny changes that add up to big things over time so that they don't end up in that hypertension bucket in the first place? And that's really where we're trying to help HR specifically flip the switch on, oh yeah, we don't have to wait for those latent indicators. We can start to get ahead of it and, and also highlight the resources we already have that address those particular needs and make sure that the people who need them or are interested in them or have a family member that's on our medical plan dealing with that issue have access to know that we do have these resources all the time. And it's maybe not even a special program. We're just highlighting it now because we know that that's a problem now. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you another reason why I think want to do would be great for HR is, you know, I always looked at it from a standpoint of FMLA, right? So many, indiv- so many employees in, in organizations are um, unaware that one FMLA exists and two really how to go get it. Right. Um, and it's, it's an unpaid 12 weeks that you're eligible for no matter where you are. Right. And some of them, there are paid ones, but you know, and there are certain criteria, obviously, but, you know, a lot of people don't understand it. And you maybe teach them about it in a policy on day one when they're onboarding. And then 10 years later, they have a situation and they're not navigating it. Right. And they're not coming to you because they don't know that they should be. So I feel like for want to do right. That's some of, that's one thing you could tee up is like, here's what FMLA means. And here's when you qualify. And, you know, then it, they're thinking about like, oh, I can use that. Right. And, and here's why it'd be beneficial for me, especially when we think about those generations that are helping not only their their children, but their aging parents. Yeah, yeah. No, I swear you just like put the steps up to my soapbox, right? So open enrollment is not time for educating people on their benefits. New hire orientation is not time for educating people on their benefits. There's too much going on. 
And benefits are scary to the average person. I, everyone knows in my like close vicinity that I obsess about these things and I get really excited about the education piece. And so I literally was explaining how benefits work, what to be looking at to my sister-in-law who has a PhD in like astro, I don't know, something space related, right? Like space sciences, like not quite astrophysics, but like not far off. And And it's so funny because it's, you know, it's a very unique set of skills. And I think about even just my own life, navigating uh, the medical system with a child with chronic illness, going through a referral process to get into one of the top hospital systems in the United States to manage that chronic illness. That still was incredibly challenging for us, even though I knew how to navigate the system. I knew how benefits came into play in that process. I knew a lot of extra details that the average person doesn't. So how how can we intentionally approach that education process and make sure that it's not scary during open enrollment because they already understand things like the difference between coinsurance and copay. Um, and that's one of the things that that we can really, really help with by by creating that tickler system, as you alluded to, um, to be able to have a true education plan about our benefits and our resources and just, how our company supports things that that are nuanced and different from places that other people have worked in the past. Well, and for those states that are starting to add the paid PFML, right? Like even understanding what that is and what the process is. And like, I just, I'm sitting here thinking about what I do. And I'm like, wow, like it really blends a lot of different pieces. It blends like the the EAPs, right? Those employee assistance programs that you have, the benefit centers, the, you know, the HR department, right? It like takes all of those things and is like, we're going to take all of these and put them in one place for you. So you don't have to have the headache of going to 9,000 places to look for it. Right. And again, each of those individually is only giving you like their piece of information and their piece of information. And then you have to figure out how it all works together, which then creates more work for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. That that's a huge, huge impact um, at for everybody, right? How much time does HR spend explaining the same thing? Like you should basically just have, you know, templates saved as signatures or something like that for these general responses. Um, But that's one of the things that we work on right away is what are those top 10 questions that you're answering multiple times a week? Let's make sure that we build those answers right into the platform and help direct people to those places. We'll even help you draft templates to say, hey, that's in Wanadu. Go check out the company hub. If you still can't find it, let me know. Here's the link. Um, and, and that's something that actually we've shown alleviates about two and a half hours of work um, for an HR person every single week. And it's, you know, it's it seems so easy and straightforward when you think about it, but having that tool and the support to say, we're going to help you get out of reactive communication mode and switch to proactive is just such a game changer for so many people. Well, and I would even bet that like the way that you guys communicate too is more on a sort of a layman's terms level, right? And, you know, when we, when we think HR, there's like 9,000 acronyms. We have alphabet soup, right? There's, you know, and there's so much that we know, like you were talking about that it's like, then you have to sort of explain to the employees in a different way. And I feel like, you know, in terms of like the communication, you guys are probably saying like, here's the digestible content. Here's how you understand it from a sort of basic level. And that happens a lot with benefits as you were talking about, like, 
we people don't know what to select for benefits. They're like, what's the difference between an HSA and an HRA and a four thousand dollar deductible? And it's like they don't know. And so it's like we, but we can't tell them what to select, and we don't have time to individually sit with every person to navigate that. Um, and so I feel like it's good that want to do has that you know has that built in to say like, all right, let's help them navigate this and communicate in a way that they understand. Yeah, no, absolutely. So one of the things that I think really gets underplayed, and I haven't even mentioned it, so maybe case in point, um, <laughs> is that we do a, a persona and learning and appreciation style. So we're not trying to compete with Myers-Briggs or Skills Finders or anything like that. Mostly it's selfish for us because it helps us to build the platform and the AI in a way to better reach each person. But mm -hmm. if that employee chooses to disclose it, it's available even on an individual basis back for their employer to be able to see, okay, Here's a little bit about how this person likes to be interacted with work, how they're best appreciated, and how they learn best. And so that's been even a great tool for HR to go back to the leadership team and say, you know how I've been telling you we can't just have a big policy manual that we throw down in front of people on day one? Here's how we see that, you know, 60% of our people are actually hands-on learners or they're visual learners. And that offers great support for one, being able to see, yes, it's worth our time and in investing in communicating in different ways for people, but then we can also help with that, that process too. So, you know, being able to have the CEO make a video saying, hey, we have this change that's happening. We understand that that sounds stressful for you. Here's the meeting where we're going to have an open forum and we're going to address those concerns um, goes such a huge way versus here's the changes that are happening, make sure you come to our meeting, because that's how it's perceived in an email, right? Because we have this business speak tendency, where then we make things unnecessarily scary. Because we don't, you know, because we don't know another way to send an email and not look like we're being flippant or or whatever the case is. So I know I kind of took that in another direction, but I think it's it's all really connected. And the more we understand our people, the better we can support them in the ways that they like to be supported and will appreciate being supported and feel like they're valued members of our team. I like I like that that's an option that's available. That's really great. Um, one of the other things I'll, I'll sort of talk about, and you might have a great answer for this, is um, when I was working in manufacturing, you know, a lot of the times those those individuals didn't want to be, they didn't want to go to a system, right? Our HRIS system or our EAP or our benefit system. They didn't want to go there. They wanted to speak to a person in person because they weren't familiar as familiar with computers, right? Um, or they may not have liked computers or they're more hands-on workers or that kind of thing. So, you know, in, in those two cases where you have this employee population that maybe is not used to engaging in that way, do you feel like want to do is able to still engage them in a way that they want to come back and use the platform? Yeah, well, and, and it's it's all about meeting people where they're at, right? And so we've intentionally built a lot of different ways to engage with people and to get them to that information. So if I send out an, a new notification, or a, excuse me, if I send out a new post and want to do with information they need, not only are they going to get an email with that, they also can get a text message if we want them to do it. Um, to do that, we can have it be a push notification that shows up on tablets or you know wherever they're wherever they're putting those push notifications from us. And we help the the team help themselves, right? And so it might be initially, hey, we've got a new piece of information about our um, hospital plan. 
make sure that you check that out and want to do. And so that might be putting a sign up in the break room initially saying, make sure you check that out. If you have issues, let us know. Um, I think one of the key parts for success of any system, whether it's want to do or a benefits administration platform for the first time or an HRAS or, or really anything, is that we have to take the time to build in a population of champions. Um, we also need to take the time for managers, especially those frontline managers, to understand how this is ultimately going to benefit them and provide a service. Because if they're just as hesitant as everyone else and they're saying, I don't know, I don't know how to get in there, this is stressing me out, then everyone else is going to say, oh, okay, then it's fine that I'm stressed out. And so we need to take the time with any new and any new initiative to get that team bought in and help them understand in very specific terms sometimes what their involvement looks like and what the return for them is going to be. So I would say, you know, the the easy, easy client for us is someone who has a workforce that's on a computer consistently. They're in Slack or they're in Teams, and that's great for like that instantaneous communication, but they're overwhelmed with the sheer amount of communication happening from clients, coworkers, the company. Um, we can kind of compartmentalize that and make it easier to come and go as you need to and, and find what you need to. Um, but for that true line staff, um, it's still, we've seen a lot of, lot of success with, within the companies that we've worked with that have that structure. Um, but it definitely takes a, a more hands-on approach, a more thorough process to helping those frontline managers understand the overall strategic purpose for them to help, um, help those nudges, um, be successful in the way that they need to be for us to use this as a workplace communication tool. Yeah. And that's, I think you're right in terms of anything in HR, right? It's about getting and anything in your organization is about getting buy-in. And once those people are bought in, then making sure that they're championing, championing it for success. Um, one of the things I know that want to do sort of puts out there very, very directly is like, this is not for everybody, right? Like this may not be for you if you're not an employee centric company. Right. And some people would be like, well, that's bold. You're saying this is not for everybody, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. You don't want the the wrong people or the wrong companies sort of investing money in a strategy that isn't beneficial for them in some way or another. So tell me a little bit about, you know, the type of companies that you see. Is it is it really all about those companies that are employee centric? Is, is that the groups that it's right for? Or, you know, how does that work? I know that that's a big thing that you guys talked about. Yeah, no, thanks for bringing that up. Um, so Yes, we are very, very bold in saying that. We're bold in talking about how no system is a magic pill. And if anyone tells you their product or service is going to solve all of these problems, um, think closely about that. Um, but we can be a huge, huge um, conduit to being able to kind of unify your whole employee experience and all of the cool things that you're doing for your people. But you have to show them that it matters, right? And that their experience matters. And if this comes in as a sort of check the box, we needed to do something for culture, or you have a lot of trust issues and you don't take time to unpack those trust issues, it's it's possible that, well, the easy answer is you're probably throwing away money, but the worst answer is you're probably making things worse for yourself in general, if I'm being completely honest, because people can tell when things are tokens, right? We talk about that a lot with DEIB initiatives, and how you have to authentically show up and 
let yourself be vulnerable. We need to do that with the data too, right? So we have a, a schedule of surveys that is like 10% of our data because it gives us something to compare behavior against. Do attitudes match behavior? Because that's really great. Do people say, oh yeah, this is a great place to work. I, I love my coworkers, but they're not engaging with anyone. They're not logging into the system. They're not partaking. Those tell you, hey, you might have a trust issue and there's more that we need to unpack here. Um, but regardless of what those things are, we need companies that are willing to look in the mirror and recognize that just as much as they're part of the problem, they're also part of the solution. Um, and being able to, to be transparent with their people um, is a huge part of that. You know, that communication piece we've seen is a huge part of success. That's the hardest thing for employers to change. Usually in HR too is having that email. Great. You want to send that email? That's awesome. Give a teaser. Make sure you've got that timestamp that shows, hey, we told you this was in want to do. You just got the notification for it as you're getting used to that process. Um, but you have to be, you have to be willing to do it in a meaningful way for you to receive meaningful results. Um, but I, you know, it's, it's like this age old wisdom, another soapbox for me of like, oh, you can't ask a survey if you're not going to do anything about, you know, with the results. And it's like, yeah, I should hope so. Like, can we stop pretending like this is age old wisdom in HR? Because it goes so much deeper than that. Um, but, but really that's, you know, that's what it amounts to is, is you can't just expect people to come in and use the system and give you all of this great data if you're not showing them that it 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 works. I mean, one of the coolest things that I've seen um, is a company that we work with where they had suggestions coming in saying, we have a new building and um, and we used to have vending machines. It was so helpful for kids after school that their parents could buy them a snack if they're hangry and it made the appointments go way better for everyone else. Can we get vending machines? And initially our HR contact kind of laughed at that and was like, no, 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 slow down. Like this is the easiest slam dunk you could possibly get because you're showing people that that confidential survey or, or excuse me, confidential feedback that they sent in, that that was listened to, that you understand their concern. And if there's logistical reasons why you can't do that machine and you're, you're not willing to, you at least have the opportunity to say, hey, we had this suggestion come in. And we really appreciate you taking the time to share that with us. This is why that's not feasible right now, um, but maybe we can address that in the future or we'll add it to the list for next, you know, next quarter or something like that to show people that you are paying attention, that they are able to share their feedback. And, you know, what is, what is it like 60% of problems your employees have the answer to? Now let's give them a way to be able to share that, even if they're not one of those outspoken people who's comfortable. Um, now they have a way of being able to give you those ideas without the other layers of complexity attached to them. Yeah, so that they don't feel like, well, I gave the idea, now they're going to make me do the work to get the idea yeah. over the finish line, right? Um, so I, I do, I think that that's great. And one of the things you talked about is that transparency piece. And you know, my company value is, one of them is transparency. I'm very big on transparency. And that's part of the reason why I think companies and HR and sort of the way that we currently do things needs to sort of be re redone, right? Um, Jessica Winder always says, set it on fire and start over, right? And I'm, I'm sort of in that mindset, but we, we do things like, you know, we don't share all the information or, you know, in terms of even like, layoffs, right? We know that they're happening a year in advance, but we tell people a month before it's going to happen or the day that it happens, right? And it's like, 
why are we not being so transparent, even in terms of like your company, right? If you're having financial challenges, tell your employees, because as you said, they have the ideas to help you save money, to help you be more productive, to help you drop your product that's not working or doesn't you know, cost you more money to make, whatever. They have those ideas. Um, and so leverage their knowledge. That's why you have them there. So, you know, it's interesting that, you know, that Wanadu can help with that sort of transparency aspect and because we all need to be getting on that board, on that ship. Yeah. One of my favorite sayings in HR was everyone knows too much to feel comfortable, but not enough to feel comfortable because it's all of this, right? You're hearing from other people who heard bits and pieces or something taken out of context, and you're trying to piece together a story that makes sense from your experience especially things with HR, another soapbox, because I have lots of those, um, is that you're not just fighting against the perception of HR within your own company, you're fighting against the perception of HR in any other company that person has worked for. So if they've come from a place where they did really have the opportunity to, to share information in a safe and supportive environment without necessarily, you know, not always getting their way or whatever. That's very different than a place where people felt like HR was the, the enemy, which is obviously a very common perception out there, right? Mm-hmm. And so from a transparency standpoint, I think usually it's just taking the time to give a little bit of information and help people know where they can find more answers if they have more specific questions. Um, I think especially with layoffs being so prevalent right now, people forget that those people who weren't laid off don't forget that last year, six months ago, people were laid off, even if it was handled well, right? And so it never kind of leaves of like, okay, well, they were able to lay off this person who was integral to our team, but apparently not integral enough. Um, What doesn't say that I'm next? And I think that transparency is so, so crucial in being able to have people feel like they are supported and they play a valuable role enough to cue them into the important details. But that also makes it less likely that when that recruiter reaches out on LinkedIn and says, hey, you have an interesting background, they're less likely to say, yeah, let's talk. Let's see what, you know, let's see what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And even in terms of when you said like, you know, the layoffs, right. And with all these layoffs that are being done wrong, right. When we think about like they log in and they have their access is removed and that's how they found out that they're laid off. You know, I can see that being a, a case where wanted you could help with the communications in the, in the sense of like those internal people, as you said, are going to remember the layoffs, but they're also going to remember how poorly you did that communication. Right. It's going to be like every day I log into my computer. I'm like, can I get into, can I get in today? You know? And it's like, we don't need that fear culture where they're operating in every day thinking today is their last day, right? And so if you if you can't even communicate during a layoff well, then you're probably not communicating well across the board, which means maybe want to do is a better resource for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I, I really think that a lot of times we don't slow down enough to understand the impacts of layoffs for, for everybody. First mm. and foremost, the people who are, left. Of course, of course, that's significant. And we should have support systems in place to help them in that transition. Um, Being thoughtful about it, not having your your computer access cut off mid zoom call. I've heard about that with a client, like really talk about shooting yourself in the foot in that particular situation, but also just what what is happening with that population who remains? I mean, 
everything that we've heard about Twitter, people who are sleeping in their offices in a sleeping bag, now being the ones that are let go too, I think COVID really lifted the veil on, on how transactional our interactions with employees can be. And we have to work really, really hard, not only against any issues in our own company, but that general perception that's very prevalent, especially with Gen Z coming into the workforce. Um, and, and that's going to be a huge, huge piece of it. I was asked to do an interview a couple of months ago with someone doing research for their PhD. And in the process of his PhD program, his wife worked for a company that did do mass layoffs. And he was saying that he was really surprised because he expected the perception to be, okay, I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to make sure I'm not in that next cut. But no, his wife included and all of her friends that she worked with immediately started getting their resume ready and applying to work other places because they didn't want to stick around and find out if there was a, you know, a part two. Yeah. And that's where transparency is key and bringing that in. Like, you know, I, I remember in the early Netflix days, I, I've done some work on them and, you know, in the early Netflix days, they always, you know, they said, here are our P&L statements. We're, we're not making money, right? What do you guys have for suggestions? And some of them were like, we'll take pay cuts or we'll, you know, we'll do jobs that are different from our scope because they, they could see that this would be successful. They just needed to, you know, help come up with the solution. Um, so I think it's great what, you know, what, want to do is is doing in that respect um you know and then in terms of i know you guys said when you collect this data right that you're giving them tips on on ways that they could make improvements or adding things and want to do that what would be helpful for their employees but do you have like a partner program where if it's something that like is more robust that they can call on a particular partner you guys recommend and say can you help with this particular project topic challenge etc yeah, no, absolutely. Um, one of the ways that that clients work with us in general is through partners, whether it be a brokerage or um, an HR consultant specifically, which always gets me excited because, of course, they're going to know different layers of the business than they're ever going to share with us on the want to do side. So I think it gives you another angle or bring us all together and we'll all be able to kind of look at different clues and figure out what's happening or how do we how do we probe deeper and find more information? Um, but yeah, we do not we do not consider ourselves experts in all of the 17 areas that we measure, nor would that be to anyone's benefit that they only have our perspective on it, right? And so um, we have intentionally started building out a network of different consultants, different programs, different products um, that we can then say, hey, this is someone that we... Um, we've had a really great experience with, our clients seem to really like, they're able to get to that next level. Um, let me know if you want an introduction. And so we're, we're very soft about it. We're very transparent about that as well. Um, but we know that we know that we can't do it alone, nor do we want to do it alone um, because we know, you know, our data combined with other people's data and even that, you know, that latent, those latent indicators we talked about that I called dead data. Um, all of that helps us to figure out um, different pieces of the puzzle than than any one of us could do alone. Awesome. So it's good that you have that partner program. So I want to flip to you for a second. So Callie is the person, right? Um, there's a few things that I know about you that are really incredible that I want other people to know. So one of the things I remember was that um, you were actually wanting to do a training where you played a musical instrument. Is that correct? Um, so I, if you could, no, you can't really see. 
Um, I'm covered in tattoos if I were not wearing a long sleeve shirt. Um, and so I had this idea that if I do a presentation in a human resources room, covered in tattoos with red hair, playing a banjo because I play the banjo, there is no way that someone's going to say, I don't remember you, right? And it's paid off. I actually did this presentation about a year ago um, and had someone say, hey, I just made a soft intro to so-and-so. I thought they'd really appreciate your presentation. Um, and so I do have one that I'm out and about with called um, Banjos to Benefits. Are we making music or just clapping along? Um, that really looks at how music has evolved over time. And how, you know, we used to be reliant on just a few streams of resources to learn about new music, right? The Billboard's Top 100 list, that would influence what was available in the stores and how it's just widened over time. And now you can crowdsource, right? And get recommendations from you, from totally obscure platforms that you might be finding new music on, um, all sorts of different places. I can really dive deep into different forums on specific genres or subgenres and find other people passionate about that. We need to start doing that with our, our benefits and how we crowdsource to find the resources that actually support our people. So moving from the like, okay, we're doing everything that everyone else does um, to, to actually finding something that addresses the real needs in our population and helps employees to say, wow, this company really cares about me and supports me and my family. So I, I do play the banjo. Um, <laughs> you can, I guess you can see one yeah. in the background. Um, but yeah, that was the basis of doing an HR presentation with a banjo. And so far it seemed pretty successful. <laughs> I can imagine people would remember that, like you singing with a banjo. I remember there's like, a, I don't remember who it was, but I remember watching a video of somebody singing and like playing a guitar or something. And they made this little limerick about HR. And I was like, I remember the them doing it. Right. And it's like, even if I don't remember their name or who they are, like, I remember that. Um, yeah. And then I know, in our in your community spotlight, you had talked about you know, an interesting fact about you is that you basically quit a job with no notice. And as an extremely loyal person, like that's had a huge impact on your career. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I know you're in my group that I created on LinkedIn that, you know, I don't know, has different layers. So you maybe have heard that before, but I mean, I grew up in the upper Midwest, right? Like Adamson's are hard workers was something instilled in me from the, from the get-go. Last time I saw my sister, she brought it up again as she, you know, was a business owner for 20 years, like very much lived by that principle. Um, and so that sort of ultimate loyalty, um, working harder than everyone else, because that's what we do has always been a part of, of me as a person. And I'm quite honestly working very hard <laughs> to sort of rebalance that because you can't do everything when you have kids and, and on other obligations. Anyway, I worked for a company in college that the boss came in, um, Whenever there was anything she needed to talk to me about, it would be an email, even though our offices shared a wall. Um, and, and there was never any direct communication about any sort of feedback. And um, I got an email that said, effective immediately, your hours are reduced by greater than 50%. There was no explanation. I was a college student. I was trying to pay for my own food. And I also, as she was aware, had started working in a, another part-time job in my field um, that I was turning down the opportunity for overtime in order to continue working for her because, you know, that's what I did. I was a loyal person. 
Um, and so it was a real shift to say, you know what, this person doesn't care about me. If I choose to put in my two week notice, it's going to be a really miserable couple of weeks. I don't think that that's what I want to do. And I could also be making a lot of extra money in the time that I'm doing this because it cut in the shift times, right? So I couldn't do, couldn't do morning. I couldn't do night. I was only doing overnights because I was working for her. Um, and so that was a real shift for me of, of like, you know what, this should be a somewhat reciprocal relationship. If you'd have had the decency to talk to me about it, we could have had a conversation. I could have said, there's no way I can feed myself if I'm going to continue to do this. So, you know, what's something that we can make in a, tr a transitional plan that works for you and for me? Um, what solidified it further is the harassing text messages I got at five o'clock when my email went out and said, my keys are on my desk. I won't be coming back. Um, kind of cleaned up everything I needed to. My coworker who was in the space knew he said goodbye, you know, that whole thing. Um, and it was really, you know, it was funny because I think she stopped the harassing text messages when I said, you're like, your boyfriend's a cop. Talk to him. He'll tell you this is not okay. Right. I was 19 years old, um, having, you know, this conversation with her and, and I think that it really helped me to start that process of making the shift of, I'm going to advocate for myself um, because as much as I want to be a loyal person, I want to be one of those people that, you know, is really hard to replace, whether it's my decision or yours, um, that I need to be making sure that I'm I'm looking out for how these decisions impact the other people, even if it's just how we communicate the information. So I really think that that particular situation led me to the path of HR and also helped me to be able to step back and look and see not just this incredibly business-centric version of this problem, but also how we communicate with people, how they receive information is also a key part of that. And if we're going to exercise this at-will sort of idea, we should expect that employees are actually able to exercise that as well. Yeah, yeah, and I love everything you're saying. And like, honestly, I, like, I'm like standing right there with you um, in terms of everything you're saying, because you know, I look at it from the same standpoint that you do, you know, our, the older generations, right? When we think about those baby boomers and Gen X, and I'm a gen, I'm like a generation nerd. I love talking about generations, but baby boomers and Gen X, right? They're, they were built for that, like long-term loyalty with companies because companies had pension plans for them. They, they did right by them sort of at the end of their tenure working for their organizations, even in that silent generation, you saw that too. Um, as you start to get into those millennials and, and Gen Z and, you know, the, the generations that I'm sure will follow, right, you don't have that same loyalty. You know, they talk about millennials being loyal to their managers versus their companies, um, but we don't have that same loyalty because there's we've seen from our parents who at the end were like, they're getting nothing. Like they're, they're not going to be able to live a life of luxury. They're not going to be able to, you know, retire well and enjoy their life, right? Like, so we're like, why are we loyal to this company that doesn't care about me and will fire me tomorrow? Like if they, if they had the option, right? Even if I'm doing the best job I possibly can, they can still fire me tomorrow. And, you know, that was something that I even faced when I was in HR companies is, you know, companies want to be like, if you give no notice, you're going on like the do not hire list again. Or when we reference this call, we'll say like, you know, not eligible for rehire. And I'm like, because they 
they left an organization that either was toxic, wasn't treating them well, like they were creating a boundary for themselves and that's healthy, but you're taking it as a negative when you probably would have fired them at will and not given them two week notice. Or if they had given two week notice, you wouldn't have accepted it anyway. Oh my gosh. Yes. So I'm, I'm in the middle of taking uh, an HR certification class right now. Right. And this is actually something that we talked about last week, with just loyalty and, and unions and the resurgence of unions. If you work for a company that you don't feel a sense of ownership to the point of wanting to help smooth out that transition or there, you know, maybe there's other factors too, but we'll, we'll say that that's the reason for simplicity's sake. If you're going to stop showing up, say you're not coming back, whatever that is, what are, what are the odds you actually want to work for that company ever again anyway, right? Like we, we draw this hard line in the sand for something that probably is really unnecessary. And I understand making sure that, you know, if your policy is going to be that you have to give two weeks notice to be able to get your PTO paid out or, you know, whatever that looks like in those places that you can do those things. That's different. I would make sure that those people know that, okay, here's the the direct consequences of that. But this like, well, you can never come back here. I'm sure most of them are like, good, don't, you know, don't let the door hit you when I slam it. Well, yeah. And even like with managers, like I've seen companies that are like managers have to give four weeks notice. And I'm like, but if you lay them off, are you giving them a minimum of four weeks notice? Like probably not, you know? And so again, it's not reciprocal. Well, okay. So another soapbox here. So employer brand, right? Those people are going to be some of the most vocal people in your community, not necessarily because they initiate, but because people are going to ask, oh, you worked at XYZ. For, do you think I should apply there? So how you leave them is going to be their lasting impression. It doesn't matter if the first five years were great and the last year sucked. That last year is going to be the majority of how they talk about it or where the tone really hits um, when those questions are being asked. So if you are going to require that type of notice, please please, 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 please make sure that you are celebrating that individual and their contributions on their way out. So for your own benefit, if not for theirs, but no one benefits from uh, the last month being miserable and no one talking to them and acting like they're a traitor or whatever other weird, weird culty BS we want to initiate. And I get that there's emotions involved, right? We get connected to our people. We, we think our companies are the greatest because we put our blood, sweat, and tears literally into building them. But that doesn't mean that anyone else is ever going to feel that level of loyalty, nor probably should they, to our companies. But if we really valued them, we really have that strong of a feeling that we're, you know, we have a problem if they're gone or whatever, then they deserve that celebration. And we are never going to be able to be able to be everything to everyone right? You are not always going to have that perfect position that's next to the ladder when that person is ready to transition. And people having successful transitions out of the skills that they've built at your company is also a really good recruiting tool. You can't just expect that everyone is always going to be willing to wait until you have that next position that suits their skill set and that you're ready for them at the same time. Um, and so there's there's so many different reasons to do that. But if you are going to continue to perpetuate that you need a notice, you want a notice, you're only rewarding people with their PTO when they provide notice, 
make sure that you are being intentional then about creating an experience that's that's not miserable for everyone involved and that actually capitalizes on the social equity that you build by creating a great exit strategy. Hmm, I love that. I love that. And and yeah, I mean, I'm exactly like I'm right there with you. And, and I even say, you know, in terms of when when you're leaving, right, it doesn't have to be contentious. And as you said, when I grow, I might not there might not be another open position for me. But if you do my exit right, when I now go to another company and get all this knowledge and experience and all these other things, I can come back to you because I want to come back to you. And I'm going to come back with like far more knowledge and experience than I had or could have gained in your company just because it was not there. Absolutely. Well, I think the other thing that we forget about too is people tend to stay connected to coworkers, right? I haven't transitioned in six years now, um, but there are still coworkers that I talk with at least every couple of months. And we are able to, to navigate different things that we've learned to improve both businesses, right? Like, hey, what are you guys doing in this particular niche thing? Um, is that something that I want to try too? And so by being able to have those people, especially, you know, millennials rising in the ranks together now, um, we're actually able to make each other's businesses stronger by having those strong relationships that continue um, even when we're not directly working together anymore, especially mm -hmm. in something like HR. Mm -hmm. I love it. So one more one more question I want to ask you about before um, we transition to sort of our closing things here. Um, you had put out on TikTok and this has gotten like a viral presence. Um, and I almost took you up on this often myself, but um, you were putting out sort of a blanket thing on TikTok about if you were having trouble with something at your company um, that you would anonymously send a letter to that organization and basically be like, your employees hate this and it sucks. Like, and, and basically do, you know, doing more than that, but like you would anonymously send something to them. Can you tell people why you wanted to do that and how it worked out? Yeah. So it was a, it was a really fun sort of guerrilla marketing plan um, where I created a TikTok account from scratch. So I wasn't building off of my friends or anything like that. Um, and within 30 days, I went from an unknown account to having like 2,500 followers multiple successful videos, but the most successful video that gathered the most followers um, was just a call to action to employees. It wasn't, one of my favorite things about TikTok is the more like you show up as yourself, usually the better things are received. And so I don't think I was wearing any makeup. I was just wearing a t-shirt sitting in my office and made the call to action of like, you know, if you feel like your employer sucks and you've tried to tell them they don't listen to you, like, let me know. I will write them a letter. I will tell them that they suck or why you're mad at them. And maybe they'll listen to a complete stranger. And so um, I created a website. It's called YourSurveySucks.com. Um, I'm really hoping the original plan was to try to get that out into the world and have people on these surveys they don't trust the results of or they think it's stupid to take to put in just your survey sucks wherever they get a comment section. But it grew into the TikTok thing. And so um, it was a really, really fun project. I had a lot, a lot of people reach out. And one of the surprising things about it, too, in addition to the request for letters and, and getting getting letters out in the mail was the people who reached out and said, can I pay you to help me prepare for my exit interview? I'm like, whoa, <laughs> this is not anything that I want to make money on that way. It's a passion project. It's a marketing ploy. Um, but really, I think the proof from an HR standpoint, from a company standpoint, even if you never get yoursurveysucks.com added in an email or you don't recognize my face from TikTok, is that 
people are really frustrated, right? They don't, they don't know where else to turn. And so this person that they saw on TikTok, they're willing to reach out, share intimate details about their frustrations with their employer, share those, those details and contact information and have that person reach out because they feel like their voice matters so little. Um, and I think that, you know, 200,000 views is, is support that we need to do better. We need to show up better for our people. We need to create ways for them to actually feel like they're significant and matter. Um, and yeah, whether you never receive a letter or not, that is where the average person is at. I know when we talked about this earlier, I talked about another, another thing that I did where I just hung out in a prominent place in our community and, and asked people, what could your employer do to support you better as a human being? And, and how I lead with that when I talk about it in front of HR audiences is it wasn't save me 25 cents on dental or, you know, get me this particular nuance in my medical plan. I know those are the things that we geek out about and get really excited about. And we know that they can have really impactful, um, impactful solutions for a lot of, for, for some people. Um, but the things that people said were value my contributions, promote the people who actually are hard workers and invested, not just those who can schmooze the right people. Um, make sure that I don't feel like I'm going to lose my job because I have to take off school, but work for another school day. I don't, that's not an option, right? I have to do that as a parent, especially single parents. You can't juggle, you're, you're doing it by yourself. Um, and I think that that's the, the biggest takeaway that I have from it is really a humbling place of we've got so much work to do. You know, we like to throw around this number that 70% of employees are disengaged. Yeah, no wonder, because they see mass layoffs all the time, stagnant wages. They don't feel like they have an understanding of what's going on with the company or why they're not able to be able to give raises at this point in time, if that's the case. Um, the more we can help to treat people like people we would want to hang out with or that we'll see again outside of this very specific box that we interact with them, um, the better those numbers are in productivity is going to rise and retention and all of those things. Um, you know, my biggest, if I had one statement that I would give to managers or HR leaders or CEOs, it's make people feel significant. If you approach how you communicate the same information potentially how you make decisions for your own population from a stance of, I want my people to feel significant, you will be infinitely more successful than doing things in the status quo way that most companies are doing them right now. Mm, I can't echo that enough. Um, shout that from the rooftops, will you? Um, but I hope that a bunch of people reach out to you, not only wanting to write letters, but wanting to join your team of people who are writing letters and saying, like, let's let's be on, like, the boots on the ground for, like, your survey sucks and get these letters out there. Um, so I, I hope you get both people who are like, let me help with this. Um, because I think to your point, right, like, I mean, I worked in a company, even in HR, which I think was even harder for me, where like I'm in HR trying to make my voice heard from for what the employees wanted. And I couldn't like I was like, they don't the leaders aren't even listening to me telling you what the employees want. Like and I'm like, if they're not listening to me, they're certainly not listening to the employee. Right. And so I'm like, wow, Callie needs to write letters to all these <laughs> um, <laughs> um, So that's awesome. So I know. I want to be respectful of time too. So with that being said, um, where can people find you if 
they're looking for you or are looking to connect with want to do or you, I know you mentioned your group too, which you can tell us a little bit about that. Um, but just how do people connect? Yeah, I think LinkedIn is is probably the best place to find me. Um, there's contact information right in my info section. I know there's, uh, I haven't had anyone abuse it yet, so I'll keep it there. Um, but also just, you know, connect, have a conversation. I have met so many amazing people like you, Alyssa, just by initiating, hey, we we like the same things. Let's have a conversation. Um, and that's that's how we get a lot of people that we work with too. So if you think that you know, you're someone who should be a partner of ours. We should be working together. Um, I want to hear from you if you're an HR person that, you know, wants more resources and how to convince your company to be employee centric. I've got a whole ton of them that I can send your way. Um, and if you also want to see a demo of want to do, I've got lots of ways to, to do that directly or send you to on-demand resources um, to make sure that, you know, those companies that are ready to, to make the move to being that employee centric company um, that we can help help you do that um, in an efficient way. Awesome. So as I end every episode, I like to ask, um, so there's a quote by Maya Angelou that says, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Can you provide me a time when that was true for you? Yeah. Um, so trying to do the condensed version of this, I grew up in, in working in my sister's flower shop. That was what her, her business was that she owned. Um, and so one of my favorite places to work was, was working with funerals, whether it be making direct arrangements or communicating with families. And I had a family with a, a young child who um, had severe developmental disabilities um, and physical disabilities who passed at a young age. And it was a really, really tense um, session with a, a lot of dynamics um, that were happening under the, under the hood of, of that meeting to plan the flowers for this person. Um, and I worked with the family. I helped to try to support that and, and cut through and, you know, not perpetuate any of the drama as much as possible as like a 14, 15 year old at the time. Um, and, you know, did what I was supposed to do. Right. And I, um, about a week before my high school graduation, I got a graduation gift from the mom of that little girl. And that had been years after. And, and that's, it was such a profound moment of, you know, my favorite quote that I, I put in the form for this is um, Zelda Fitzgerald, I don't want to live, I want to love first and live incidentally. Um, and that's sort of, of how I try to approach things. And, you know, if we if we try to be someone who supports people without an agenda, um, that, you know, often those things that we just do because we are who we are, um, can have such a lasting impact more so than we ever anticipate. And so that's sort of the the best experience I've had of, wow, I, I can't believe that she remembered me and, and felt moved to do something when I don't even have a way of contacting her anymore to say thank you. Like that's a pretty incredible gesture. So very honored that she she felt that way. And, and it's, it's also had a, a lasting impact in how I try to continue to engage and interact with people and um, you know, I don't want people to reach out and give me gifts, but I, I want them to remember and feel supported or that if they need something, you know, they know where to find me. Yeah, it was great that you had that experience where, you know, you almost felt validated in like what you did to help her had that long lasting impression. And honestly, I think that that's the way that you operate, Callie. So it's it's good <laughs> that you you had that because I think that that's how you give back to the world. Yeah, thank you. No, I I just... I, yeah, I, I was doing what I needed to do. And I immediately remembered her when she sent that out, but I would have never expected anything or, or any future interaction. So it was, it was a huge honor. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Um, and I would like to tell everybody out there, lead with empathy, act with kindness. Have a great day, y'all. Thank you for listening to All People Podcast. If you enjoyed our show, I'd love for you to subscribe and leave a five-star review. The work doesn't end here. If you want to keep the conversation going, find me on LinkedIn or Facebook or visit my website, apeoplepartnerllc.com. Lead with empathy and act with kindness. Have a great day.